We are talking about four animals over the next couple of weeks that we find in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. And last week we looked at ants, not not A-N-T-Z, right, but ants. And we, we saw something amazing about these ants, that ants have this innate ability to invest in their future. And when we looked at that, we realized that this is something that is so applicable to us as Christians. And obviously, we could have looked about you know, how Christians are called to um, regulate their finances, save and such for the future. But we chose to go a different route with this and apply it in the area of how we are to spiritually sow into others. And as yeast impacts the whole lump, so we are called as Christians, to leaven the entire lump. And in doing this, we take time, we take resources, and we pour it into people and invest in the future, invest in people. Because God, people, and his word are the only things that are eternal. And so we are called then to invest in eternal things, specifically in people, and how we can impact this world. Because as we're looking at these four different creatures found in Proverbs 30, we need to ask this question, God, how do these creatures, not only what is the point for each one, but we're focusing on how we as God's people can impact the world around us. And in all honesty, when you read through the book of Acts, it's a little bit intimidating to see how the apostles did miracles, proclaimed the gospel, and thousands came to Christ. And we can simply, we, we can read through that book and say, wow, I mean, I can't do that. And so we're looking at how we can, in the simplest way, how we can impact others in a way that this world can be changed. Because we serve a God that has filled us with his spirit. And you know what? As, today, as we're going to look at, at something very important, we're going to see, we want to be able to continue this on, and we want to be able to see how God can impact people through us, even in simple ways, church, even in simple ways. The sermon series is called Small But Wise. And the reason why it's called that is, and I'm just going to read the first three verses here, Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 26. I'm not going to read 27 and 28. We'll do that a little later. Uh, but it says, four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely, what church? Wise. Small, but extremely wise. Answer creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food, food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. I'm reminded of a young man in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. His name is Gideon. Gideon was threshing out the, the grain and the, uh, the, an angel appeared to him and he, the, the angel greeted him, mighty warrior kind of caught him by surprise, mighty war. He wasn't a warrior that he was aware of. It was very prophetic. The angel spoke to him and said that God is calling you to be a mighty warrior and to, in essence, bring freedom to the oppressed people of Israel from Midian. Midian numbered about 130,000, and they were oppressing the people. The reason why is because Israel had gone astray. They had been sinning, and God was putting pressure on them in order to win them back. 
And so Gideon basically says, who am I? I'm the smallest in my family. My family is the smallest of Manasseh, and Manasseh the smallest of all. Well, that wasn't completely correct. Manasseh was pretty big. Half of the tribe lived on one side of the Jordan, and the other half where he lived was on the, uh, on the west side. But the truth, his claim, we're the smallest in Manasseh. Why would you look to me? I am a nobody. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this because that is how we can feel. Whether that's true or not, we can feel as if we're small and as we're, we're just a nobody. How can I impact my neighbor or impact my coworkers or impact this world? We can feel so insignificant, can't we? We don't feel like we're the sharpest tool in the shed. We're not all that smart. We're not all that talented. We're not all that good looking, as if that even matters, right? We're not all this or that. And, and we can feel so limited. I'm not real skillful. I'm not an extrovert. I can't proclaim the gospel. God doesn't seem to use me in, in doing miracles, though I tell you what he can. But you know what? We can feel very much like Gideon. Gideon then gathered a whopping 32,000 people. Now that was still small and less than a third of what the Midianites had, 130,000. And he gathered them together, and God looked down, and he said to Gideon, you know what, I'm sorry, Gideon, but that is too many. Too many. Yeah, and he brought him through a process in which God whittled that 32,000 down to 300. You remember? And now the, the, time of, the, the time of battle came, 300 against 130,000. I understand why Gideon was a little bit fearful, a little bit intimidated by all of this. And God needed to do some things to encourage him, I'm not going to get into. But God gave him a battle plan, a strategy. And that strategy, you may remember, all 300 had a trumpet and a torch with a jar over it. And when they climbed up and, and were on top of the mountain ridge and in the valley were the 130,000 Midianites, when the trumpet was blown, they all blew their trumpets, crashed to their jars, the torches suddenly appeared, and it created mayhem in the valley. I'm not going to get into all the details as far as why that would even happen, but 300 created such confusion, they started killing one another and then fled, and the 300 chased them, and 300 defeated the 130,000 Midianites. I want to this morning to be able to give you a little bit of a strategy, much as, Dave, as much as God gave to Gideon a little strategy. I'm going to give you a strategy, just a little one today. today. And we're going to take our cue from the coney or the rock badger, and we're going to glean a principle here that we're now going to apply in how we, in the kingdom of God, can impact the world. That is, as we look at last week, how yeast can impact the entire lump of dough. How do we do that? So though we are small, yet I'm going to suggest if we are extremely wise, we can accomplish this. Because Jesus said that leaven will impact, will leaven the entire lump. How do we do that? And as we look at this, I want us to, 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 to see something here. Number one, the NIV, if you have the NIV, uses the word conies. That word coney, at least... It's a term that in the past simply meant rabbit. But I can assure you that's not how it's used here. It, uh, it is maybe the rock hyrax, 
as opposed to the normal hyrax or the rock uh, badger as opposed to the typical badger. This is a creature that's about 20 inches long as an adult, weighs between 20 and 30 pounds. They're a little bit pudgy and they live in the rocks. If you have the King James Version, that's how your version reads, the rocks. And I can assure you, these aren't just normal rocks. If you were to do a word study on this Hebrew word for rocks, that's not the typical word for rocks. It's the word, the word here is the word for rocks in lofty places. And that's why the NIV translates it crags. Because we're talking about the rocks and the little caves in the cliffs that is extremely difficult for any creature to get to. And so the point that we find here is that these rock badgers have this it, it's innate within them. This is how they live their lives. They live in the crags. They live in those places where their enemy finds it difficult, if, if not impossible, to get to them. I'm going to read something to you. This, this ver the, the word coney is used uh, in four places, but in two of them, one here and another in Psalm 104, where it actually gives us a hint as far as why would the psalmist even use this example of the rock badger, I'm going to use the term rock badger instead of coney, uh, in the crags. What's the significance? And in Psalm 104, verse 18, it says, the crags are a refuge for the rock badger. The crags are a refuge for the rock badger. You see, the crags provide safety. So where might we, in applying this, where might we live so that that place keeps us safe from the enemy? I'm going to turn to a passage. You might even find it difficult to turn to, and if you do, don't worry about it. Maybe look it up in your uh, table of contents, but it's a book called Habakkuk or as some pronounce it, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet in which God told him that the, 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 an enemy was going to be coming against him, actually coming against all of Israel. That God would be sending this enemy to actually bring destruction to them. The Babylonians were a people that had been dominating the Middle East, and God was going to send them to attack Israel. Israel was more righteous, Habakkuk felt, than these Babylonians. God, why would you have a sinful people attack us and destroy us? This just doesn't seem fair. And what are you going to do with, with the Babylonians? And, and Habakkuk had to wrestle with this. And at the very end, in chapter, at the end of chapter 3, he concludes this three-chapter prophetic word this way. I'm going to start at the last half of chapter 16. He says, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. That is, calamity to be brought upon the oppressors, the, the, the Babylonians. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Now can you imagine this? No food. 
Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go on the heights. What is this ability that Habakkuk is suggesting that God is giving him? This ability like a deer to be able to go on the heights. To be able to rise up above these horrible circumstances. The way we might put it is, there's no food in the refrigerator or in the pantry. There's no gas in my car for me to even go to work. What am I to do? And yet he says, I will rejoice and I will be filled with joy. And this ability to rise up on the heights that the deer has is this ability to praise God in these difficult circumstances. So what does this have to do with the rock badger, right? I want to suggest to you something. That, <laughs> that God is giving you something. He's giving you intense circumstances, but he's also giving you a faith that you are to walk by, not by sight, but by faith, be able to praise him in the most difficult of situations. Because this is something that the world cannot grasp. The world looks around and they see a fallen world, though they may not attribute it to sin. They see a fallen world and instead of praising God, they want to accuse him, if there is even a God. And some even come to the conclusion, we call them atheists or agnostics, that there simply can't be a God because if an all-loving, all-powerful God truly existed, then why on earth is there so much suffering in our world? And yet there is a people that God has called to be his own that he gives promises to. See, that's you and me. That's the Christian community. We're going to see some passages in the book of Acts at the end of the message here. And I want us to be able to see some insights in how they live because how they live has how we're called to live. To be able to be like deer, or as the King James says, hinds feet in high places. For us to be able to live in a way that the world refuses. Instead, they're accusing God. We're called to praise him. And when we do that, I'm going to tell you this, it attracts attention. And we're going to see some examples in just a moment. When people praise God in the most difficult of situations, the world looks on and they're confused. They're amazed. What is going on? Why are you so joyful? Look at your circumstances. Don't you see how hard it is? You should be accusing God. You should be angry with him if there is even a God. But we make a choice. We will not. I will praise God. And I'm going to tell you this. That not only is praise powerful for the world to see, but it will impact them. And if we can learn to live this life, just like Habakkuk is saying, even though there's nothing in the pantry, nothing in the refrigerator, and my pocket is empty, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to be like that deer 
in high places. I'm going to be like this rock badger because the enemy, you're going to find that when you go through hard circumstances, man, that's where the enemy wants to come in. He wants to sabotage your life. He wants to undermine your relationship with God. See, this is his goal. He came to bring ruin to God's creation we read about in Genesis 3. Do you think that you're off his radar now that you're a Christian? Let me tell you this. When you gave your heart to Christ... There is now a bullseye on your back, whether you see it or not. And the enemy still wants to undermine God's creation. I'm going to call it a new creation in your life. You were one way before coming to Christ. You were another way after. And he wants to undermine that. He wants to undermine your faith. But if we're able to praise in church, that will impact. We're going to see in a moment. It will impact the people around you. You have been given this opportunity. He enables, it says, he enables me to go on the heights. So turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We see an example here. Many, many uh, people call this the Gadarene demoniac. The Gadarene demoniac, man, did he live a hard life. Demonized with innumerable demons... If we take the, 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 the name of the demon that was in him and controlling all the other demons, called, he was called Legion, that would lead us to believe that there were as many as 6,000 demons in him. Regardless, there were 2,000 pigs that they were eventually cast into, so I would suggest at least 2,000. But the truth is, this man was controlled. His life was chaotic. He would cut himself. He would cry out. In the, I mean, this, he, he, we would call him absolutely insane. When he was bound, because he was obviously a violent man, when he was bound, he would even break the chains. No fetters could hold him. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he runs to Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet. I seriously doubt that the demons that were controlling him wanted to run to Jesus. But there was something in his heart, in his broken, sinful, destroyed inner self, in his spirit. There was something that wanted freedom, and he ran to the only one that could give it to him. I don't, I don't think he had met Jesus before. There was something inside of him, those demons that feared Jesus. And instead of running from him, he realized then there must be something good in him. I don't know the man's thoughts, but he ran to Jesus, fell at his feet, and Jesus set him free. Now that's the backdrop to what I'm going to read to you now. At the very end, this man is sitting in his right mind, completely healed. And it says here in Mark 5, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat. So he's ready to leave. Oh, but P.S. One more thing. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. With him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, he, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
Here's this man's testimony. This amazing thing that God, that Jesus had done in his life. I would venture to say that it is the most profound testimony or one of the most profound testimonies in the entire book of the New Testament. So controlled by Satan and yet so delivered, set free and able now to walk in complete freedom in Christ. Changed his life. But it's curious, just a little bit later in that very same chapter, Jairus, a Jew, ruler of the synagogue, his daughter was dying, and eventually by the time Jesus got there, she was dead, and Jesus raised her to life. Now, do you remember what Jesus asked Jairus and his wife not to do? Please don't tell anyone. Well, just out of curiosity, why why does he tell Jairus, hey, don't tell anyone, but he says to this demoniac who's now been set free, tell everybody. Just go out there and blab it. Tell everybody. And it's because Jairus was going to be ministering to Jews. And those were the ones Jesus was called to. And the more Jews that found out about his miracles, the miracles that he was doing, it was going to be harder for him to be able to move amongst the people and be able to continue to preach and heal. And so as, but as a result of others spreading the news, Jesus many times had to be outside of a city in remote places and then go in. And even so, there were many crowds. When he arrived to heal Jairus' daughter, there was a huge crowd. And you remember a woman just reaching and touching the hem of his garment so that she'd be healed. Jesus said, look, to Jairus' daughter, to, to Jairus, just don't tell anybody. In addition to the fact that maybe there were some misconceptions about the Messiah that Jesus did not want them speculating about. He wanted to do the broadcasting. But he tells this man who lives in the Decapolis, tell everybody. Because that's where the Gentiles were. And Jesus wasn't going to minister a whole lot there. But he tells him, go tell everybody, go home, tell your family. And he went home and he began to tell everyone in the Decapolis, everyone that he met, how much Jesus had done for him. He made a choice that I think we need to make a choice, and that is, I'm going to choose not to focus on my past. And I'm, gonna, I'm telling you this because so many Christians, they camp out in their past. Look at all the horrible things that have happened in my life. And it keeps them from being able to look ahead to all the things that God will do and even the things that he's doing in their life presently. Rejoice in this. If we're not careful, we can get blindsided by all of these struggles that we go through. That God promises, I'm going to use these things for your good so that you can actually consider it pure joy Right? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is God's promise. That these things will work out for our good to the point where every time we go and face trials, we can be filled with joy. This is a promise that's given to you. So if this is his promise, where should our focus? Should our focus be on all of these bad things? And trust me, this demoniac, many had a ton of them. Or are we going to focus on all the good things that God is, is wanting to do?
So this man made a choice. He's not going to, he's not going to um, focus on his past. Instead, he is going to focus on what God has done, and he's going to tell everyone about it. And the result is that all the people were amazed. This is the power of a testimony. This is the power when we make a choice to focus on the good that God has done. There is power in that. It impacts people. People want to hear. People are longing to hear, whether they recognize it or not, that there is a God in heaven and that he is good. Church, they want to know something good about God. Their their lives, so many, they're filled with just trouble and struggles and heartache. Close people who are close to them, loved ones, have have died. I, I know personally several pastors whose whose spouses died during the the coronavirus pandemic last year. Many of them died. Man, that hurts. Where is God in this? Well, let me testify about all of the good things that he has done. See, that's what the world wants. I think that's what we all want to hear. You know, um, we went through, I I would consider it just a small tragedy many years ago, that God did something absolutely amazing. And I had the privilege to share it with the place where I do business. I do paint touch-up. I was over at Parks Lincoln of Longwood. And this testimony got their attention. And, and most of you know this, so I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to go into it in detail. But several years ago, during a teen night event, Juliana was driving her car, came to a stop, and a woman, a navigator, thinking navigator, backed up into her. And the, the, the part of the tow package just crunched right through her bumper. The lady got out, said, oh my goodness, let me go get my insurance card. She promptly got into her Lincoln Navigator and sped down the road, passed the light onto I-4. We're talking miles and miles and miles down the road. Someone, and not Juliana, but someone saw what happened and followed her. Tried to chase her, but followed her. She got off, got, she, she lost her, but she was able to drive, write down the license plate. We gave the license plate number to the police. He couldn't track it. I tried tracking it the best I could, and we, I couldn't, we couldn't find it anywhere. So, okay, great. You know, how is this all going to work out? How's it going to impact our insurance? You know, blah, blah, blah. That was on a Friday night. The following Thursday, I go on Parks Lincoln of Longwood dealership where I do my work. There's a gentleman in the service department that comes to me and says, Hey, Mike, you know, there's a vehicle I'd like you to take a look at. And uh, if you can fix it, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a brand new vehicle. But if you can fix it, great, just let me know how much it's going to be. So I say, fine. He tells me where it is. And I go back there and I, I walk over and I, I look at the back of the vehicle. Oh, okay, the tow package cover's missing. I see a crease in the bumper. Hmm, I wonder. And I look up. And guess what the license plate number is? Exactly the one that I had written down. Now, how, what what kind of a chance is that one in a million or one in however many million? No way. And I happened to be there that day when it was brought in. And so I took care of it and uh, 
I sat down with the used car manager, and, and I told him, he's an older gentleman, I said, hey, here's the situation in brief. How would you like me to walk through this? Now, while I'm talking to the used car manager, several salesmen just start coming in. Oh, my goodness, is this the lady? Yeah, we sold her a vehicle last week. What happened? And, oh, I was the salesman, and did this happen? No way. You just found it on the... That's impossible, Mike. I had the GM the very next week. I happened to meet him as I was crossing the parking lot, and he said, hey, Mike, here, come walk with me. And he's walking inside, and he said, so I understand that God's on your side. And this is what I said, well, yeah, I think he is. And he said, I heard about what happened. Thank you for the way you handled it. Wow. That was a miracle. And I said, yes, it was. Yes. You see, the world, truly, they're hungry for the power of God to break into someone's life. For that to have happened, that's beyond chance. I want to encourage you to do this. Take some time, maybe today or tomorrow. I want you to write down some testimonies of God's goodness. Now, not just how you were saved. That's important. This past Wednesday, uh, we talked about this, uh, not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after my group. On Wednesday night, you're actually going to be doing your, your uh, well, no, that's right. T two weeks ago, we did testimonies, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm getting confused in my mind. But the truth is, you, we're talking about our testimony. But I would like you to write down not just your testimony, but I would like you to write down, what are those things, what are those expressions of God's great goodness that's been displayed in your life? See, those are testimonies. You are, if you don't mind me wording it this way, you are a walking advertisement of God's grace. You are a billboard to his benevolence. Threw a little alliteration in there. Did you get that? <laughs> anyway, you are, you, are a, you are a follower of Jesus. I mean, if anybody, if, if God's going to pour out his grace on anybody, don't you think it would have to be someone who's truly wanting to follow him? Well, yeah, and, and you get this opportunity to be able to tell others and be able to broadcast God's amazing goodness to others. And what happened here? And the people were amazed. Acts, I'm going to be real quick with this. Acts chapter 3. Right after, we don't know how long, but soon after, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, in the day of Pentecost, Peter and John are on the way to a 3 p.m. prayer meeting. When they arrive at the Gate Beautiful, there's a man who is crippled. He's been crippled from birth. He's about 40 years of age. So you, about 40 years he has been this way, and he is begging. Peter and John, they're like me. I've got a credit card, but I have zero cash in this wallet. I just don't carry cash with me anymore. And so Peter looks at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches down, and the man grabs his hand. It's like, I mean, if you were that man, that cripple, what would you do? Oh, no, thanks. You don't have any cash? Go ahead on your way. Next! No, he reaches up, and 
Peter grabs his hand and he lifts him to his feet. And what do you suppose happens, church? Taking him by the hand, he helps him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles become strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Now, he didn't stop with walking, right? Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He is a walking advertisement to the great goodness of God. He's walking, and he he just can't keep walking. He keeps jumping, and look at my feet. And he is dancing and leaping, and he's praising God. He's giving glory to God. God has healed me. God has healed me. And he keeps going and telling, God has healed me. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I was healed. And he gave credit to where credit was due. He became an advertisement to God's great goodness. And what happens? It says, when all the people, verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Ah, oh, and what had happened to him? While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colony. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And he launches into yet another message, another challenge, another call to Jesus, declaring to them, there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. This didn't happen because of me. This is because of Jesus, who, by the way, you killed. And now he's been raised to life. And he demonstrated that resurrection power in this way. Wow. 2,000 people made a choice to follow Jesus that day. Pretty significant if you ask me. Because here is something that happened in this man's life. He didn't go around telling people about, well, you know what? I've just been a cripple like all my life. And life was just so hard and blah, blah, blah about the past. He just said, I once was crippled, but now I can walk. I can leap and I'm praising God. And it opened up a door to people's hearts to listen to what Peter had to say. You see, church, the rock badger lives in the crags, and the rest of the world, the rest, the rest of the animal kingdom cannot do that. And it keeps them safe. And for us as Christians, when you go about life praising God, constantly rejoicing in his abundant goodness rather than camping out on all of these aches and hurts and pains and and you're giving you're making a choice to give no place to anger no place to bitterness you're making a choice to focus on all of the great goodness of God in your life so sometime take tomorrow write down some of those amazing things that God has done for you They're there. Every single one of you has them. Sometimes, though, we lose sight of them. I tell you what, that man, that gathering demoniac, oh, you couldn't shut him up. Even those who were told, hey, don't say anything. The leper that Jesus 
healed. Yeah, only tell and go to the priests and explain to them so you can, you know, go through the proper rituals and such. But no, the leper began telling everybody. Jairus and his wife, they began telling everybody. Even Jesus said, shh, on the down low. They had to tell somebody what Jesus had done for them. Is this what beats in your heart? Because I'm going to tell you, if you give place to that, if you allow this praise to erupt in your heart, you are going to be like hinds feet on high places. You will be enabled to walk among the heights, declaring his praises. Not only, not only will that safeguard your heart, it's amazing how praising God in every situation does that giving no place to anger, no place to bitterness, no place to discouragement, because you know that you serve a God, even in the darkest moments, his light will eventually shine. At some point, he will deliver you. This is his promise, church. And so, not only will that happen in your life, and you will be like that rock badger, kept safe where you live, because you're living in the constant praise of God, constant praise of God but it will impact the people around you. Do you see how simple this is? Do you see how simple it is for us to live a life that radiates, exudes Jesus? And we make this, looking for every opportunity to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. And I'm not going to get into it, but... um, Two of the Fur girls had an opportunity. Wednesday night, as I understand it, right after we were talking in, in, in my little group, Julianne is doing the gospel here. I'm doing it just in a little different way in, in the uh, fel- fellowship hall. And, um, and the Furs were in that group. And after the meeting, when they're going home, was it two different places this happened, or was one of them the following day? They both happened on Thursday? So the day after. God opened up an opportunity to be able to tell them in some measure about Jesus and his goodness in two different places. God just opened up the door. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if we can simply be so focused on just speaking praise about Jesus and what he has done in our life and those praise reports that you wrote down, I bet you most of you could do half a dozen to a dozen. Half a dozen to a dozen. And you just have those praise reports, those testimonies to his great goodness available in your heart. And the only way you're going to do that is by constantly thanking him. If you learn to constantly thank him, then you're going to find yourself in every situation. You don't have to think about it. What testimony should I share now? Because there's half a dozen to a dozen right on your mind. And God will give you the ability to speak the right one in the right opportunity. And you will be like yeast, being mixed into that whole lump of dough, and the dough rises. It's impacted by it. You, God will use you, even in some of these small ways, to impact the people around you. I know that for most of you, if not all of you, this is what really beats in your heart. But you have intimidations. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm, you know what? Wow. This man in Mark 5, the demoniac, the guy was totally loony and God rescued him 
And I, I can't imagine that he was the sharpest tool in the shed, but God used him. He told everybody, God can use you. Though you feel small, if you choose to be wise, God will use you. Okay? I promise you this. He will use you. Maybe in your marriage or in your family or your neighborhood or your relatives who don't know Jesus, but he will use you. Amen? Can you stand with me? Can I ask you, is there something that is weighing you down today? Something that's holding you back from being able to tell others about the good things God has done for you. For some of us, it's fear. For some of us, it's intimidations. We're afraid of what others might say. For some of us, maybe God is still needing to be permitted to heal your broken heart. And you carry around in your soul a brokenness. And that brokenness is like dirt that has gotten into the cogs of a wheel and it's grinding and it hurts. Maybe for some of you, God just needs to minister healing first. I want him to do that for you today. And as he ministers healing to your broken heart, to be able to lift your spirit and to be able to praise him all that he's worthy of, not just now, but for the rest of your life, would you let him do that? Father, I just ask you, God, whatever the enemy is doing to hold us back and to close our mouth, I ask you, God, release us from that. In the name of Jesus. God, would you be so kind and would you demonstrate your abundant goodness and would you enable us to rise up on the heights of praise to you, to mount up on wings as eagles, to be able to run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, be able to keep our eyes on you, Jesus be able to live in those crags to be able to be like the yeast that impacts the whole lump father please help us let praise arise let healing take place in our hearts allow us to experience that freedom to be released from those bondages that you've called us out of be able to declare your praises. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. By the power of your spirit, God, I pray that you would set people free today, right now, that we can walk in this freedom and declare your praises and be able to allow this world to be amazed at this God that we serve. This is who you are, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord.